Good morning. I am glad to be back. I've been gone for a few weeks. I got the chance to go and preach uh, a couple weeks ago as a guest speaker. And last week, I was, as you heard earlier, I was up a mountain backpacking, which I was terrified to do to let you know because I hike all the time, but it's been a long time since I strapped a backpack on and hiked up a mountain for a few days. It's been a lot of years, and I'm so glad I did. You just are reminded of these pieces of yourself. I don't know about you, and I know I'm not that old yet, but I am getting older, and as you get older and you have kids and you have life, you forget, right? You forget parts about who you are because you just get caught up in all the things that people need from you. And I was just so thankful to have a weekend, to be reminded of pieces of myself that have not been there for a while because I just haven't had the time, but it was a great weekend. And I would like to point out that God does church anywhere. We had an amazing time of praise and worship and prayer up on a mountainside with me. Pastor Kristen was with me and a couple of our friends. it was just a great time to reconnect with the Lord and reconnect with each other. And um, thank you for letting me go and my husband for letting me go. The kids all survived. He went on strike of cooking them dinner, though, because I always complain about his dinners. So he's like, fine, I'm not cooking for you all weekend long. Little did he know he played right into their hands because that means they got to eat Boston pizza all weekend long. <laughs> Anyways, this morning, where are we going? So as I'm hiking up this mountain and we're getting ready to go up, there is this interesting, they were joking, one of our friends was like, I really want to see a bear. And I was like, great, if we see a bear, I'm throwing you in front of the bear and I'm running the other direction. And then she looked at me because she's like a foot taller than me and she's like, kind of gave me this look like, pretty sure I'm going to throw you in front of the bear first. (laughs) But I was reminded as we were having this conversation over the bear, I was reminded of this story. Years ago, uh, I was probably 19 years old, and we were a couple friends of myself. We were biking the old railway bed between Christina Lake and Castlegar. Uh, it's about, I don't know how many K, 50K bike ride, something like that. I don't know, give or take something. It was before the, but if you've done the railway bed uh, recently, it's all nice and smooth. This was back when parts of it were still very washboardish, and you felt like going, uh, as you go over. And these train bridges that now are a little bit more secure, they weren't back then, and you could see through them as you went across, and it was quite terrifying. And they have these tunnels that go through it, and if anyone's been up there, you would know they have these massive tunnels. One of them is like a kilometer long. You go in, and you can't see the other side of it. And it just engulfs the light. You have headlamps on, but it just engulfs the light, and you're just kind of hoping you don't run into something. I remember I went into the tunnel, and all I felt was like a wind go over my head, and I looked behind me at the entrance, and a deer literally had jumped right over top of me, and I didn't even see it. So we're up, and we're biking on this trail, and we come around this corner. And all of a sudden, I'm at the back of the pack, and I come around the corner, and all my friends are gone. And out of the corner of my eye, I see them in the bushes. I'm like, that's weird. And all this happens in a split second, and I look up, and there's this massive bear standing in the middle of the trail. I've encountered a lot of bears hiking through these mountains when I was young. You often just kind of keep your distance, and you go around them, and you continue on. This one was pretty close and pretty massive, and I think that's why I remember it so clearly. And I stopped, and then I realized why they're all in the bushes. (laughs) So I slowly brought my bike over to join them. 
And we waited there. After a few minutes, he kind of sauntered up the bank and disappeared. As soon as he was kind of out of sight, we all got on our bikes and we took off as fast as we can, passed it, and then you relax and you start on the trail again. But there was this feeling inside, right? We all know that feeling inside that you know a bear can do damage. Even if you're not afraid of bears, still, when you see a bear, you know, you know what? I need to keep my distance a bit. Unless you're James McFadden and you run towards it. But the rest of us know better and we don't. We're like, okay, we need to find an exit strategy to get away from it as quick as we can. Because although it seems safe and okay at a distance, if it gets a little too close, it may become a little bit unsafe. And the closer it gets, the closer you are to playing with fire. This morning, we're going to finish our sermon series in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 11, is where we're going to be going this morning. Here's some background info. If you haven't listened to all of our sermon series, I'll give you, kind of set the stage. We've got Paul, who is the overseer of the churches. He oversees all the big church, all the churches of the day. He's overseeing all the pastors, and he travels around, and he gives them oversight. Paul is writing a letter to this young pastor. His name is Timothy. We know Timothy is a young pastor because earlier in the book, in 1 Timothy, it says, do not let them look down on you because you are young. So we know he was young enough that people would have questioned his qualifications because of his age. So we've got this young pastor named Timothy. A lot of the book is talking about addressing issues within the church. Why? Because he's pastoring a church in Ephesus that is very similar to what our culture would be today. You've got all these meldings of all of this religion, all these different spiritual belief systems that were coming into the church. People were blending Christianity. It wasn't called Christianity that time. It was just being, people being Christ followers, and they were blending this in with, with what Christ said was truth, with what they had in the scripture. They're blending all these spiritual practices and thinking that they could all meld it together. And Paul was writing this letter, and he was saying, okay, you need to address these issues because it is not good doctrine. What does doctrine mean? It just means teaching. It's not good teaching. It's not what the Lord says in the Word of God. A lot of the book is addressing this. It's, it's, okay, here's what not to do and here is what to do. Pastor James, I think, shared a lot about workers and widows and all of that over the last couple weeks of how do we deal with these things? What is our heart posture supposed to be? So this kind of sets the stage. Paul had just finished talking about a few key issues that he said, these things are, are especially uh, uh, dangerous to the church body. And that's where we pick up our passage this morning. Paul is now going to give Timothy a charge. He's going to say, here's what I want you to do. Here's all the things that people aren't supposed to do. And here's some of the things I want you to do. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 11. I'm reading from the NIV. Are you ready? But you, man of God, let's stop there. Paul is about to tell Timothy, here is what I want from you. But you know how he starts that statement? He says, let me remind you of who you are. 
before I tell you all the things that I want you to flee from and all of the things I want you to do, let me remind you of your identity. Let me remind you that it is not you, it's not your own strength that needs to know how to do all these things, but it is the person you are attached to. It's not, you've probably heard me say it or others say it before, it's not who you are, but whose you are. God says, man of God, woman of God, let's start as we look in the passage this morning by me saying that to you. Man of God, woman of God, hear what God has to say. Let's go on. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you were made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and to Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep the command without spot or blame until the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Man or woman of God, flee from these things. The word flee there means to run in the opposite direction or to escape. It is that thought of the story that I shared of you see something that you know is dangerous and you plan your exit strategy. Flee from these things. We're going to talk exactly what he's talking about, but in the general term, he's actually saying, flee from sin and temptation. Flee from these things. The difference between Samson and Joseph in the Bible, if you don't know the stories, go back and read them. They're really cool. I can tell you where the passages are later. But those of you who know, the difference between Samson and Joseph in the Bible is that Joseph ran away from temptation and Samson ran towards it. Think about how that turned out for them. Joseph ended up second in command over a nation that was struggling. He figured out how God told him how to help it survive. Samson ended in ruin. Why? Because Samson thought because he knew who God was that he was invincible. Joseph knew because he knew who God was that God was invincible. When we see temptation and sin in our lives, things that we know are not good for us, what do we do? Do we run the other direction? Do we escape? Do we plan our exit strategy? Or do we see how close we can get? As I read this passage, I thought about this, of how sometimes we as Christians, and maybe no one else is with me, so maybe it's just me, but sometimes I can think that the strength that I have and the maturity in my faith is all dependent on how close I can get to temptation. 
that if I am a mature believer and I am strong in the Lord, then I should be able to be right beside sin and right beside temptation and not be affected. Otherwise, I must not be mature. Is anyone else with me? You know, that that thought process, we don't say it, but that's really our thought process, that we must not be mature if we still are tempted when we're close to something. Interestingly enough, the scripture says, this is a mature believer. He is a pastor of a church. And Paul says, flee from it. Run the other direction. Maybe true maturity is to know how not to put yourself in those situations. True strength is knowing where your weakness lies and God's strength is. Flee from these things. Run the other direction. Then we wonder, what is he talking about? He says, flee from these things. And yes, do I think it applies to the general sense of sin, temptation, these things in our lives that separate us from relationship with the Lord. These things in our lives that put barriers between God knowing us and us knowing God. Flee from these things. I just want to give a side note here. We're not talking about salvation issues here. I think this is where we struggle with passages like this because we think that God has covered all of our sins. He has given us forgiveness. Everyone says it is a free gift. So then there must be nothing else I have to do. And when you're talking about salvation issues, that is absolutely true. The only thing that's expected of you is to accept what Christ did, the covering that he has given for you. That is a free gift. But relationship with him, intimacy with him, is a different story. It takes some work on our part. Scripture is clear about that, that if I want the things that God promises me, there's something I have to do for it. A lot of times, it's actually just moving out of the way. But salvation is our eternity that is set. Relationship and intimacy with God is something that is worked on, just like every other relationship in your life. Your marriage will not last very long if you're not putting some work in to create intimacy. Your friendships will be very shallow if you don't push yourself past your uncomfortableness. It takes some work. So let me go back to our passage, flee from these things. What are we fleeing from? Well, I'm not going to read them all, but chapter uh, 6, verses 3 to 10, he's actually talking about some very specific things that were happening in the church. They can kind of be categorized into two things. One is a false doctrine, very specific type of false doctrine, but false teaching. It was teaching that looked like this, unhealthy interest in controversies, quarrels that ended up in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and godliness for financial gain. There was this teaching that was happening at the time that was saying what you have matters to your status with God. They were arguing over this. They were very much around, they are talking about these topics of the get rich quick schemes. 
that somehow the gospel, the prosper, um, you know, the name it and claim it gospel, that idea of that God wants you to be prosperous and, and, and so you just need to ask him and if you don't have enough faith, you won't get it. That your money and your things and all of that is what gives you value in God's eyes. They were talking about this status in the church and the higher status that you have, the more important that you are. With that came a lot of debate. Debate over camps of being here or being here. We believe this, we follow this guy, we believe this and we follow this guy. Instead of saying we are one under the Lord, there was this talk about controversies and quarrels How do we know that it's connected to all of this? Well, it actually says that quarrels that ended up in envy. If you're envious of someone else, that means that there was conversation over one person being above someone. I don't know if exactly this is what was going on there, but what I thought of in this is how often are we looking for the places that we don't agree instead of looking for the places that we do? How often are we looking for the things that divide us instead of the things that unify us? If we actually look as Christian beliefs, there are a handful of primary, primary things that bind us as Christians. They are things that I would call non-negotiables. There are things like atonement. What does that mean? It means the need for the covering of sin. What Christ did on the cross for us. The Trinity that God has three parts to him, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There are these few things, these few things that that we need to hold on to really, really tightly. And then there's a whole lot that we get into a lot of arguments over. You've probably heard me say it before but it's not healthy. And Paul is saying, don't, don't just like ignore those things. He's saying flee from them. Flee from the things that cause envy, that cause controversies, that cause malicious talk. I don't know about you, that's hard to do these days, isn't it? When everywhere you look, someone is trying to divide you into a camp, you're pro this, you're anti this. You're with us or you're against us. You fall into this column or you fall into this column. Don't ever think that you're both. I took a personality test. Um, I've taken a few. Uh, James would probably laugh because I like things like that. I'm like, ooh, another one, that's great. Let me know myself more. Secretly, it's, it's probably because I'm trying to figure out how I can uh, fix all my faults. Um, little did I know, they just keep on showing you more faults. And then tell you, that's just how you're wired. You're just going to have to deal with it. Great. Excellent. I was hoping you would give me a quick fix. Um, took this personality test back in the fall with... Uh, uh, the city, we did it as a team, it was great. Everyone got to know each other and understand each other a bit more. A lady comes up to me after and she's like, you're a very odd personality, like it's really rare. 
Nothing ever good comes after that. <laughs> like, great, thank you. Thank you very much for telling me what I already know. <laughs> Every personality test has a different slant on it, right? They have different things that they're looking for. This one really was looking at how do you make decisions. Again, we're doing it for our city staff and, and our counselors. and So it's how do you make decisions. So this is what she says to me. She says, your brain must be in conflict all the time. Yes, yes it is. She said, because there's four different categories and you're literally even right across the board. She says, people usually have one, maybe two that are off the charts and the other ones are really low. You're literally 50% on all four. She says, that means that someone could give you an argument and you'll totally see where they're coming from and someone will give you the total opposite argument and you'll totally see where they're coming from. She said, that must make it really hard for you. I'm like, it does. You're right. What I understood is this piece that we often see in Scripture where it talks about we see in part, we only hear in part, is that every person gets a part of a picture, right? And what you're looking at, it is accurate. And you're like, I see it, and I understand it. And someone else sees a different part of the same picture, but it looks completely different than the part that you see. And what we think sometimes is that they're two different pictures we're looking at instead of that God has just given us different parts. God gives us different parts, and when we can understand that, that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, flee from those who don't get this. Flee from it. Nothing good comes from it. The second thing that it talks a lot about, and I kind of touched on it, is it actually talks a lot about uh, flee from people who all they want is to get rich. It's an interesting thing to actually really clearly state, flee from that. And I had to wrestle with that. Like, why? Why flee from someone else? Like, even if it's not me, what is the big deal? You know, this passage right before is actually where that saying where everyone, you know, a lot of people quote it is, money is the root of all evil. Anyone heard that? It's actually in the Bible. Taking it out of context, but it's in the Bible. Do I think money is the issue? No, it's not the issue. But the love of money, the desire for it, why? Because it removes us from understanding that God is our provider. It removes us from the understanding that he is the only one who can actually sustain and fill everything that we need. Amen? That we can't do it on our own. It gives us this false sense that we can. But I don't know about you. So we probably, um, because life circumstance and where we're at in life and God's blessing in a few key areas, we probably are, are more financially okay than we ever have before. Here's a secret. I struggle more now than I did before with relying on God. Because it's almost like the more secure you feel, the less security you put in the Lord. The more you become worried about, but what if? When you have nothing, it's really easy to say, God, you can have everything. But all of a sudden now when you've got some stuff, it's like, I don't know. You can have part of it. 
and I'm just going to put the rest of the way for the rainy day just in case we don't have something again. Right? It becomes this idea of, oh, I can sustain it. I can do it. It's okay, God. I got this part on my own. But Paul actually tells Timothy, he says, don't get caught up in that. It is a bad road to go down. It's a bad road to go down. Nothing good will come from it. Here is what he also says. We'll end with this chunk. I don't know about you, I don't like to run. Running is not my thing. James likes to run, and he tried to convince me to run a few years ago, and I went for a run, and five seconds in, I was like, what is the point in this? Like, I'm running to nothing. Like, why am I running? There is no end. There is no goal. I'm just running for the sake of running. Why does anyone do this? Like, he's like, it's going to be great. It'll be, like, euphoric, and you'll get in this headspace where you're like, I can conquer the world. I did not get there. All I thought was, this is the dumbest thing in the world. (laughs) There is nothing chasing me. Why am I running? (laughs) Like, I know myself well. If something was chasing me, I could run. I don't need to practice. Like, I... (laughs) right? But it becomes a lot easier to run when there's a purpose behind it. When you know what you're running to, all of a sudden it becomes easier to run. You have a goal at the end. You know, a kid, when you haven't seen them, not anymore because I have teenagers, but when they were kids and you haven't seen them in a few days and you walk in the room and they get up and they run to you because they're so excited to see you, Now I have teenagers, and I'm lucky if they look up from their phones. Oh, hey. Hey, Mom. I'm just kidding. They're great. But when you know what you're running to, all of a sudden it becomes easier to run. This is where Timothy says, he says, don't just, or where Paul says to Timothy, don't just flee from all the things that are going to entrap you, the things that are actually going to pull you away from who God is. He says, run towards the things of the Lord, because that is what will sustain you. Run toward the things of the Lord, because if the bear shows up, that's what's going to help you fight the battle. If you're cornered and you can't get out, These will be your weapons, and this is what he says they are. Pursue righteousness. What does that mean? That means right standing before the Lord. Righteousness, godliness, or devotion to God, faith, love. But the word there is actually benevolent kind of love, that giving kind of love that says, I'm willing to sacrifice for someone else. Perseverance. The word actually means endurance with patient waiting, endurance, running the, way, running the race while you patiently wait for whatever the promise is, whatever the thing that you're waiting for. It's knowing, God, it's in your hands. Gentleness, mildness, to do good deeds, and especially if you look at the passage before and you look at the chunk after, with your money, What am I doing with what God has given me? 
to be generous and willing to share. This morning, I don't know what you need to flee from. I don't know what you've allowed in your life that you're aware it's a bear, but you've thought it's okay, it's still 10 feet away, I think I can handle it. And God is saying, get up and run the other direction. And I don't know if there's some in here that have forgot what you're supposed to be running to, that you feel really weary because you're running from all of the things you know you should be running from, but you've forgotten that there's a purpose for the run. That God is at the end. He is waiting there for you, and he is giving you the tools along the way. You want to know if your life actually looks like these things that you should be running to, evaluate this morning. If someone were to ask someone about you, would these be the descriptions? Would they say that that person is loving, that that person is mild and gentle, that that person is generous, not just when they have extra sitting in their pocket, but when it means they have to make a sacrifice, are they willing I evaluate that in my life of when's the last time I've let someone use my stuff. For me, it's just a good like reminder of where my heart is when it comes to generosity. Am I too worried about what they might do with it? Or am I more worried about being a blessing to them? I don't know where you're at. This morning, I'm going to call the worship team up, and we're going to just praise one last song. And as we do, I want you to evaluate that. God, sometimes God, if God's never spoken to you and you don't really know what that means, sometimes that's a thought that's placed in your mind that you know that that probably didn't come from you. Sometimes that is this moment where you just have kind of, you know, your conscience, that's what we call it, that says, hey, yeah, there's something there. As we sing this last song, I just want to give a moment for the Lord to speak to you this morning and say, yeah, here's something you need to get out of your world. You need to run the other direction. Or maybe it's the opposite. Here's the thing that I want you to be running to that I think you've forgotten about. As we sing, let's just give God a moment to speak to us Before we go down and we celebrate and have food together and enjoy each other's company, let's just give God a moment to speak to us. Let me pray over you, church. God, I thank you. I thank you that you have given us the ability to remove ourselves from temptation and run one direction, but you've also given us something to run towards. God, I pray this morning as we run to you, that we would hear you clearly. We would hear your voice. We would feel your presence, that we would know that you're working on us. Because God, we want to be a better reflection of who you are. Let us be a church that is known to reflect who you are. God, let us be a church that is known to speak life and not death. 
that is known to be mild and gentle, that is known to be generous and loving, one that perseveres through the hard, one that comes in and brings unity and not disunity. In your precious name, amen.